Yeah, so that's just 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Now concerning the coming of Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is good God. Don't you remember that when I was, was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that, so that all will be condemned, those who do not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. Good evening, friends. If I've met you before, Chris is my name. I'd love to meet you in the breakout space over a cup of coffee. Um, uh, we are continuing in our series in 2 Thessalonians. So how about I pray and uh, we can jump into it. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for the truth of your word with which we would not be able to understand if it was not for your spirit. And so use your spirit today in our hearts and minds so we may leave here loving your truth and having confidence in your son, Jesus. Amen. If you could turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll be looking at that quite closely today um, and thinking about um, some of the great pictures and vivid imagery and what it means to stand firm for Jesus. Excuse me for a second. No judgment, Dave. Um, <laughs> let me add uh, Happy Father's Day to uh, the other Father's Day celebrations that has been happening. I've, uh, I've recently noticed this thing that I do as a father. When I teach my kids new skills, I give them a whole bunch of instructions that are meant to give them confidence, but instead it fills them with fear and uncertainty. Am I the only dad that does this? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I'll ask wives a bit later. Um, uh, so when I was teaching my kids how to ride a bike, they were, feared with, they were filled with fear that they were going to crash. When I was teaching them how to use safety scissors, they were filled with fear that they were going to amputate one of their limbs. Uh, when I was teaching them how to toast marshmallows, they were filled with fear that they would be set on fire, you know, like spontaneously self-combust. Sometimes the thing that is meant to give confidence can leave you with fear and uncertainty. It's like the safety briefing on a plane before you take off. 
You know, the thing that's meant to give you confidence can leave you with fear and uncertainty. Why, why are there so many things that I need to follow and what happens if we all go down? Uh, parents with their first child, all the advice that people give you, cloth nappies versus disposable, formula versus natural, parent soothe or self-soothe, it's meant to give you confidence but can leave you with fear and uncertainty. Or remember COVID and the instructions around buy, buying toilet paper? I mean, all of a sudden, the supermarket shelves were empty. Uh, one researcher had looked back and found that it was actually the news reports that created this hysteria that, didn't, that there was actually nothing to be concerned about. Instructions that were meant to give confidence filled people with fear and uncertainty. And that's the tension that we have as we come to chapter 2 this afternoon. The very verses that are meant to instill confidence in the face of lies can leave us with fear and uncertainty about the future. And so to avoid that problem, to ensure that we walk out of here and into our weeks as people who are confident of the future and have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we need to be men and women who love the truth. In John 8, Jesus says this, If you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth of Jesus is his saving message. And to believe this truth is to have freedom from sin and a sure and certain future. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, we are to continue walking into that truth. Uh, when we love this truth, we understand the world that we live in. It gives us a certain and uh, secure future, and it gives us certainty to stand firm for Jesus today. You see, it's this certainty, it's this confidence that Paul wants to give the Thessalonians in chapter 2. As we continue our series in the book, uh, it was originally a letter written by Paul, the guy who planted the church, to a group of Christians who were troubled in their faith. That's because a false teaching had crept inside the church. And as we'll see today, that false teaching is that Jesus has already returned and they've missed him. And so Paul writes this letter to set the record straight. He encourages them to stand firm for Jesus by loving the truth. And so today's big idea, loving the truth, gives us confidence in the face of fear and uncertainty. Also, three points. In verses 1 to 3, we see there's a warning of half-truths. In verses um, 4 to 10, there is the full truth. And in verses 11 and 12, a challenge to love the truth. So let's start with the half-truth. Um, two Thessalonians, like I said before, is a particular half-truth. Have a look at verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and us being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter, supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Last week, Paul started his letter talking about the day of the Lord. He gave this big blockbuster, full 3D immersive picture of what the return of Jesus looks like so that Christians under persecution would have hope and stand firm for Jesus. And in chapter 2, Paul develops this idea of the day of the Lord. So he talks about the judgment. 
He talks about the glory and the new idea today is, verse 1, God gathering people to himself. The day of the Lord is at the heart of the hope of all of God's people. And Paul is convinced that these three promises, judgment, gathering and glory, will be brought into reality at the same event. That is, the return of Jesus. So the truth is, uh, the truth is that Jesus has promised he will return. The half-truth is that Jesus has already returned. If Jesus has already returned, then they've missed the day. Uh, But worse than that, if Jesus has already returned, they didn't recognise him and they've missed out. Why is this so dangerous? Well, firstly, the maths doesn't work, right? A half-truth plus a half-truth doesn't equal the full truth. It doesn't add up. Also, uh, but more, more importantly, half-truths, or let's just call it what they are, false teaching, is dangerous because it takes the authority away from God and puts it in the hands of men. It causes trouble and anxiety and also teaches people to misunderstand the world in which they live. And that's really the heart of what's happening for the Thessalonians. You see, if Jesus has already returned, the day of the Lord has already come. So let's consider those three promises. If the day of the Lord has come, God has already gathered his people. All the glories of heaven, health, wealth and and future blessings, they're all for today. And in particular... Evil in this world should be decreasing and Christians shouldn't be the bad guys of society and be persecuted. Ultimately, this half-truth, this false teaching has made them misunderstand the world in which they're living and the time in which it is. And it's their expectations of society and culture that's causing them great trouble and anxiety. The word for trouble in chapter 2 is the same word used when a boat is ripped off its mooring. Consider a huge storm in the dead of night. Huge waves pushing against a boat and clipping off a mooring and a boat floats adrift. Friends, that's the faith of the Thessalonians because they are misunderstanding the times in which they live. And if uh, Christians in Thessalonica are not immune to misunderstanding the times in which they live, it also means that Christians in orange are not immune either. We can be tempted to think that, well, I just wish we could go back to the way that things used to be. When Christians were respected in society, when culture presented God's values. But friends, don't be fooled because that's not the time that we're living in. Don't be deceived. In fact, that's the command that Paul gives. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Paul says this because he's picking up the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24. It kind of feels like he must have been doing his quiet times there during the week. Um, Jesus says this, if anyone tells you, then see, here is the Messiah or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets have arisen and performed great signs and wonders to lead people astray. If possible, even the elect. Take note, 
I have told you in advance, so if they tell you, see, he is in the wilderness, don't go out, or see, he's in the storerooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying that when he returns, it will be unmissable, a public event, visible and global in its impact. So don't be fooled when false teachers or pseudo-prophets say that this has already happened. He wants people to learn the truth so that they may know how to live in the times in which they're in. You see, God wants us to learn the truth so that we're not seduced by false truths about God. God wants us to learn the truth so we can reject false teaching. God wants us to learn the truth so we can understand the times we live in and stand firm for Jesus. So friends, can I ask you, where do you need to grow? Where do you need to grow in your knowledge of the truth so that you may better understand the world in which you live? What Paul does next is he takes their um, eyes off their experience that they're currently facing and he pushes them forward to the future and shines a spotlight in future events so that they would have confidence today. This brings us to our second point, the full truth. Have a look at verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. Oh, sorry, for the day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Apostasy is a military coup. It's when a leader replaces the authority of a nation or a country and then leads a rebellion. And Paul says the man of lawlessness is the man who will lead this rebellion whose very name tells you that he stands against God's law and he creates chaos and terror and evil. But how will the lawless one lead people astray? That's a question I have for you. You know that I love mid-sermon questions, so turn to the person next to you, have a look at verses 4 to 9, and I want you to think, how will the lawless one lead people astray? I'll give you a minute, go. Okay, that's your 60 seconds. It was in my notes. It wasn't just for a drink break. Uh, I wonder what you said. How will the lawless one lead people astray? By being a counterfeit Christ. Did you notice that? Have a look again. Verse 4, he will sit in the temple, just like Jesus. He will claim to be God, just like Jesus. Uh, in verse 9, his coming is the word parousia. It's the same word used to talk about the return of Jesus. And verse 9, he'll even perform miracles, signs and wonders just like Jesus. You see, the lawless one's power is not in armies or politics or a one world order. It's far more sinister than that. He will deceive people by being a counterfeit Christ, replacing the authority of God himself and leading people away from God. I guess the big question is, who is this man? Throughout history, you may be aware that many candidates have been put forward. Martin Luther said it was the Pope, and the Pope returned the compliment. Uh, other candidates have included a Roman general in 70 AD, Hitler, Trump or Biden, depending on your politics. Uh, 
we may in fact have seen many types of this figure throughout history. Because 1 John 2 warns us that many antichrists will come in the last days. But this is the final antichrist, if you will. So who is it? Well, the temptation is to speculate and to try and fill in the gaps. But the word of God is not a textbook. And so uh, we don't ask it, what can I get out of it? Friends, we need to come to God's word humbly and pray, God, what do you want me to learn? And when we do that, we see the Bible doesn't give us a definitive answer. And that's okay, um, because a definitive answer would put our focus on the sign and we would forget about Jesus. And that would go completely against what Paul is trying to do here. Can you see Paul's concern? That the lawless one won't come in a black coat with red eyes. He will come as one masquerading, like an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 5. He's likely to be very impressive, very charismatic, looking good and sounding good. And as he wields Satan's power, he will do signs and wonders that will amaze people. But it will serve the lie and lead people away from God. What's interesting is that verse 9 says this power is already at work in the world. Now, I'm not talking about the person next to you. Let me give you an example. In the late 1930s, there was a student-led revival at Sydney Uni that went around the world. The gospel did a miraculous and mighty work, and hundreds, if not thousands, of students were saved. And during this time, something much darker began to grow. There was a student, a young man, who may have been the most impressive preacher. Great intelligence, a real gravitas, people say. And he started privately teaching, then publicly teaching, a false gospel called sinless perfection. What followed was beliefs and behaviours in direct opposition to God. He led people away from God. And this group actually continues today. It's a cult. Over the years, it has destroyed hundreds of lives and faiths of those who have been a part of it. What's interesting is that the historians who write about this really special event say that there is a difference between those who joined the group and those who avoided it. They say... It was a love for the truth. And that Paul's and that's Paul's points in these Paul's point in these verses. So don't focus on the warning and forget about the truth. God wants us to love the truth so that we can see the signs. He wants us to know that Jesus hasn't returned. God wants us to love the truth so we can discern false teachings and not fall into the lie. Because that's a real danger for the Thessalonians. You see, the persistence of evil and the suffering of Christians was leaving them with this fear and uncertainty about the future and about the days that they were living in. Remember my dad fails, instilling fear in my child's heart? Uh, They were feeling uncertain, like no one was in control. And today, as we consider the man of lawlessness and talk about people being led away from God, we can feel that same way too. Uh, We might ask, who is really in control of the future? 
Have a look at verse 6. And you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in this time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the, the one restraining will do so until he's out of the way. When Paul says, you know the one who's restraining him, it feels a bit like Monty Python. You know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. But we'd really like to know who he's talking about. I think verse 8 makes it clear. God is the ultimate power and authority. If God's king is the one who will destroy this lawless one, then it's God who is restraining the mystery and the power of lawlessness. Today, God, by his power, is still in control. As we look at the world today, we see so much evil. We see war and poverty. We see famine. We see the vulnerable exploited. We see people rejecting goodness and in opposition to God. There is great evil in the world, but it's not as bad as it could be. Now, that's not to minimise the experience of suffering or the pain that we feel. But friends, this is a profound truth that we must take to heart. Evil is not as bad as it could be. And we should not fear the evil one today because the hand of God holds it back. Consider a barking dog being restrained by a leash. While it has a bark, while it has strength, it is still being held back. And this is how the Bible describes Satan and his power in the world. Out of God's great love for the people of this world, he restrains Satan. He holds back the evil one. Why? Have a look at verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. In verse 3, the man of lawlessness is introduced as the man of destruction. That is, he is destined for destruction. In verse 7, we're told that he will be put out of the way. And verse 8, he will be destroyed by the breath of Jesus' mouth. This is a reference to Isaiah 4, a promise that speaks of how God's king will bring an, evil to the, sorry, an end to the evil of this world. And so God restricts Satan and the evil in this world so that he may release him at his proper time and he will be destroyed. You see, the return of Jesus won't be a long, drawn-out battle like a penalty shootout. Remember the Matildas versus France? That was great. 20 shots on goals. Who was going to win? When Jesus returns, it's not going to be like that. It won't be like light side versus dark side, back and forth like Star Wars. It won't be even like the Avengers where, you know, first movie, the bad guys win, and second movie, the good guys win. Jesus will destroy all evil and wickedness on this earth at the moment in which he returns. And he'll do that at his appearance, at the splendour of his coming, which really tells you who is in control, doesn't it? Who is um, guiding the future and where our confidence is to be found. Remember last week? The return of Jesus changes everything. The return of Jesus changes our perspective on the future because we know that evil will be done away with in a moment and it gives us confidence to live for Jesus today. 
You see, God wants us to know that he is still in control and this lawless one will not, um, will not run rampant on this world, but it will be brought to an end. So how do we walk out today with a kind of a confidence and a clarity of what Jesus will do? We need to love the truth. Have a look at verse 10. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will not believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who do not believe the truth, but delighted in righteousness. The truth in verse 10 is the gospel, the saving message of Jesus. And Paul warns the Thessalonians that those who close their mind to this message and refuse to acknowledge God, that God will give them exactly what they want. Romans 1 describes this as God handing people over to their sin before the final judgment. But it gives us a deep insight to the human heart of me and you. You see, why do people not accept the truth? Verse 12, because they delight in unrighteousness. That is to say, people reject Jesus because they love sin. Now, you might be sitting here investigating Jesus and thinking, gee, this is, this is another heavy week, Chris. This is really full on. Friends, but can I encourage you that there is a truly beautiful thing in this? Because God gives us his son, Jesus, not only to end the evil in this world, but to forgive us of our sin. And as God's word examines our heart today, he gives us a very real warning. The day of the Lord has not yet come, but it will. And those who reject the free offer of forgiveness offered in Jesus will face his judgment. So friends, out of love, can I ask, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you prepared for him to come? Because while we might not know what day it happens, it is a sure and certain hope. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? If you have any hesitations or questions or you'd like to be led through a prayer of forgiveness, I'm available as well as Greg or um, Dave who was leading the service. The men and women leaders of Church at Four would love to chat to you. Friends, don't go home today without doing business with God because those who are saved love the truth you see what can be said of those who reject the truth the opposite is equally true to listen to the truth to learn to the truth to build our lives on this truth is what it means to stand firm for Jesus today Uh, in John 8 remember Jesus said these words If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God desires that we would learn the truth, that we would study his word because in these pages we find the God of love and mercy. God wants us to love the truth, to make his truth our own, capital T truth, so that we may live his way in this world. And he wants us to live it out, 
to build our life on this shore and um, uh, with certainty and assurance. To live, love and uh, sorry, to learn, love and live His Word. So to finish up with, remember my parenting fails at the beginning. I'm sure you'll chat to me about them over more <laughs> afternoon tea. The thing that was meant to give us certainty, my kids' certainty, filled them with fear and uncertainty. And as we go into our weeks today, God wants us to be men and women who have certainty about the future and a clear picture of Jesus. And to do that, we need to be men and women who love the truth. Today, we've looked at the half-truths that were in the Thessalonian church. So friends, where are you tempted to believe in the half-truths about God? We considered the full truth that God has a certain plan that his son will return and bring evil to an end. So where do you need to grow in your love for the truth? And finally, we thought about what it means to learn, love and live for that truth. So friends, where do you need to grow in your love of God's word so you may build your lives on that sure and certain hope? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for your son Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life. We pray that as we uh, learn more about him, as we learn to love his truth, as we build our lives on that sure foundation, that you would give us certainty. Help us to understand the times that we live in and what it means to stand firm for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.